I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high-profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both pairs have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a f***ing shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years. Welcome to the GR on a Monday. It's me, Woolly, in studio, which today there's nobody with me. So I'm on my own, but uh, you don't have to despair. Shay Mulligan is coming up soon, and so is Andy McEntee. He was in Amore Park when Mead hammered Leash at the weekend, and I was there as well. So I'll talk to him in part two. But we have Shane Mulligan coming up soon because he said at the end of the, the end of his speech, "Light the bonfires, we're coming home." It's basically this is Mullen Hakta's "See You in Coppers" uh, moment. So I'm looking forward to talking to Shane because it was absolutely sensational stuff in Tullamore yesterday. Like I mean, I think we're all. Pr- pr- Pretty familiar with the Mullinocta story now. Population of 447, half a parish, only one or two pubs in the whole town, um, playing Kilmacud Croaks, whose membership is about 10 times the entire population of Mullinocta. And, like, I mean, it's the smallest club in Longford, and Longford is the second smallest GA county. So, like, I mean, when you put this all in context, it's an absolutely sensational, sensational story. Um, they won their first county title in 2016 so they've won three in a row in Longford now so to, in 2016 it was 50 years I think 50 or 60 years since they won even a county title now that's a story in itself but to come out then in the third year and get the way to the, to the Leinster final no Longford club had ever even been in a Leinster final and then to beat Kilmacud Croaks the Dublin champions and Portlaoise I know if we beat Kilmacud Croaks in 2004 I think we've lost eight or nine times to Dublin champions so I know how difficult it is to beat the Dublin champions so for them to do that a club their size is absolutely sensational 
and in fairness they looked in a lot of trouble at half time if you were watching the match like I mean it's just not enough to be going in at half time it's just not enough with that wind against Kilmacud Crook so you think that Kilmacud are just going to run out complete routine um, winners but they didn't they stuck in there and stuck in there and suddenly when they got the goal they looked like they were the only team that were going to win it Keno Sullivan sent off Kilmacud Crook's brains completely scrambled and they didn't even mount a comeback it was Mullen Alokta that completely finished a stronger team and were well deserving winners um, to be fair Kilmacud Crooks just didn't do enough I saw Robbie Brennan say after the game uh, for whatever reason we reverted back to type uh, which we had been doing for the last three games more of a defensive game keep ball going backwards with it and like I mean that's what I thought watching it it was like Kilmacud didn't really try to turn the screw it's like they got two points up got three points up and they were happy with that they weren't really pushing flooding forward in numbers like they even were in the first 10 minutes of the game and they just kept Mullen and Lockta in it and in fairness to Mullen and Lockta they stayed in it and then when they got the penalty that was it all bets were off but as my father always says maybe their name was already written on it because it was the 50th anniversary of Longford's only senior provincial title um, so like I mean when you hear little things like this it is a little bit like Jesus maybe it was just maybe it was just their year and that was always um, the way it was going to go probably one of the funniest things well it shouldn't really be it shouldn't really be that funny but David Nestor was quoted after um, saving Craig Rogers penalty and it was another Rogers Gary Rogers who scored the penalty and David Nestor said after saving Craig Rogers penalty which is a brilliant penalty and David Nestor guessed the wrong way and he said afterwards well at my age I think he's into his 30s 34 he says I can only really dive properly one way probably just pressing springing off his right foot and dive to the right so Gary Rogers gets the penalty then and I suppose David Nestor is thinking right well I've planted that seed out there now so Gary Rogers is going to go to my left because he thinks I can't <laughs> he thinks I can't dive that way so Gary Rogers double bluffed David Nestor who fell for his own bluff and went the wrong way and it went into the bottom left of the net from the penalty taker's uh, point of view and in fairness to David Nestor he shouldn't feel probably too bad because um, I don't think he would have saved that penalty it was low and hard and it was a brilliant penalty under that kind of pressure the Gary Rogers said after the game said yeah that side I always pick a different side anyway so it didn't matter I just said I'd hit it as hard as I can and if he saves it fair play to him I hit it as hard as I possibly could and I think like I mean under that kind of pressure and maybe this mistake Craig Rogers made where he didn't put as much uh, pace on it and went for the top corner just low and hard you remember Dear McConnelly's penalty in the all and final like when he's under pressure with David Clark massive man in the goals very kind of you know intimidating goalkeeper just low and hard and to the left that's how you that's how you generate most pace on a penalty is go low hard to your left and if even if a goalkeeper you know guesses the right way he's going to struggle to to get across um, you know to get across to a, a penalty like that um, one or two other talking points um, for the match I think uh, James McGivney was sent off for a second jello uh, he should have been sent off for a second jello by David Goff in the 64th minute but he got a second jello and we talked in the Ulster final about this happening and we're completely wrong but apparently James McGivney got two yellows in normal time but wasn't sent off it was in the 64th minute there was only four minutes of extra time so it was in the very last minute made no impact on the game um, Keno Sullivan got sent off there was a black card I thought for Liam Flatman in the first half Jason Matthews um, must be a little bit fond of a dive because 
Um, this was a terrible black card for someone to get in a, in a Leinster final so it was all he did was tackle the ball and Jason Matthews kind of threw his head back and like I mean I've been saying this for a long time that this is a big problem in the game it's players um, making a big deal out of contact spe- any contact that goes over the shoulder players are just throwing their heads back and making it look an awful lot worse Jason Matthews dived a little bit before that for a free uh, Liam Flatman did put his hand on his back but Jason Matthews just dived out and threw his head back and he got his free um, and then a few minutes later then he, he sewed Liam Flatman up uh, right, rightly and got him, got him sent off on a black card um, but that's not the story of the game it's just a small thing in it and it's a worrying trend because they're all at it it's not just Jason Matthews that's at it um, so Mickey Graham is is now going to be in the same boat as Eddie Brennan. So he is the new cabin manager. Eddie Brennan's the new leash manager and they're both in all in semi-finals. So they're going to have to double job right through the winter. And like, I mean, Mickey Graham was interviewed and says, I'm not going to worry about that at this moment in time. And like, he's dead right. But he said, I'll have to sit down and gather all my thoughts and let this settle in. It's going to be one hell of a party in Mullen Alocta for the next week and up to Christmas because what this club has done is a fairy tale. And it isn't probably the right time to ask him about that. But at the same time, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge commitment for him now, and how he's going to structure his week and how he's going to have Cavan training on the nights Mun and Alakta are not training. So, like when he says he's not going to worry about it, it's definitely something to, it's definitely something for him that he's going to have to worry about because the intercounty game is a huge commitment, and to double job right into February um, for these All Ireland semi-finals. It's definitely going to be difficult because, as we know, the league starts at the end of January. So, listen, it's a good position for Mickey to be in. But um, definitely, listen, enjoy the next few days and then start worrying about that. But I was just thinking, watching it, and it's difficult to even put it, understand how these upsets happen in club. Because I remember um, back when I was kind of playing with Port Leash in the middle of my career, O'Hanrahan's beat Nafina. And then Rat New beat Nafina. Um, and it was like these small clubs beating these big giants from Dublin and you know Nafina at the time had Jason Sherlock here McGinley did a good few transfers as well and it was I don't know what it is about us Kulshis and it's maybe it's just the fact that Dublin can't be beaten at inter-county level you're looking at counties going up lambs to the slaughter to them so when you see a little club like Mullen Alocta beating the giants of Kilmacud Croaks I think it's just given hope to every <laughs> everyone that's not from Dublin like I mean they were trending worldwide on Twitter last night and like I mean they're just such a small club that it's just such an absolute fantastic fantastic story so I'm going to stop talking right now because uh, Mullen Alocta captain Shane Mulligan is on the line um, now to talk to us about the game Shane you asked for bonfires at the end of your speech did you get them? We did. We got bonfires all the way home, so we did great reception. As soon as we even coming back in the band and acting West Mead and back then into Edgetown and Longford and Granard, back down in Gowan and Cab, and then eventually we got home to Mullignac. Then the bonfires were burning brightly, and you know we had Longford Pipe Band come out and met us, and it was just great scenes, great colour, and great noise, and you know great atmosphere and. Um, something that you know I don't think we ever anyone that's witnessed it ever thought would see the like of that but it was just an amazing amazing occasion and an amazing homecoming and you know I'm still yeah. buzzing here this morning in fact probably a little bit sweeter now that you wake up the next day you know and it's Christmas game. <laughs> oh, def- it definitely has. I didn't even know. I didn't really know bonfires still were a thing. I knew people used to say there'd be bonfires lit, but I was looking at the nine o'clock news last night, and there was actually was bonfires being lit. 
Yeah, well, that's it. Look, we've been lucky enough that in the last three years we've won the same championship in Longford and every year we have to come back to the crossroads as you come back into what is Mullignac and then we uh, there'll be the bonfire lit there and it's kind of the start of the homecoming. That's where we first arrived and we'd meet the people of the parish and things like that and there'll be a few words said there and yeah, a few fireworks and the bonfire will be burning brightly and yeah, it's great, great atmosphere and a great occasion and it's Great spectacle to, to witness. Yeah, so you know, Guidor have set the celebration bar very, very high. So you have a tough act to follow now this this week. Yeah, well, we'll be doing it all low key. We'll stay under the radar, you know. That's the way we like to do it down here, you know. Keep it all in house, hush hush. Yeah, because I was going. Yeah, I was going to ask which one of you I should follow on Twitter to follow all the all the different uh, crazy videos, but uh, maybe that's just the Guidor thing. Yeah, no, we'll uh, no, we'll keep it all low key now and hush hush here. Not, I don't even know if there's Wi-Fi or anything. Even though we can, <laughs> we can upload them anyway. Because there's only two, there's only two pubs in Mullinocta, right? So, like, I mean, there's only one pub in Mullinocta. There's only one. There's two. One of them is yeah. There's one closed there in the last twelve months, and the post office is closed in the last twelve months, and. Yeah, it's been well documented, you know, we're saying that as as, as other things diminish in, in 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 rural Ireland, you know. Thankfully, GA around Mullinocta has got stronger, and it's. It's been a real focal point for the community and the parish and things like that and, and, and keeping people together and, you know, days and, and, and nights and things like this are so important. Yeah, no, there's only the one pub there now in, in, in the middle of Mullinock. Right, so anyone... Community centre and the school. Anyone going to Mullinock today to join the celebrations knows exactly where to find you, right? Yeah, as long as they don't blink as they're driving through it and miss it, <laughs> they'll, they'll get there. Aim for the one pub and the church and if, if you're going by, if you're as far as the church... You might be better off going into the charts, but turn around and go back. You'll, you'll be past the pub at that stage. <laughs> I was reading there today, like, I mean, it has been well documented, so I'm not going to get into too much about how small Mullinocta is. But, like, it is the smallest club in Longford, and Longford is the second smallest, ca- you know, footballing county in Ireland. Like, so to put that into context, to be able to beat Kilmacook Croaks, who are a giant in national football with a huge membership, like, I mean, it was almost an impossible task. Yeah, if you look at it stats-wise and numbers-wise, but to be honest with you, it wasn't something we've ever really looked at because even within Longford, we'd probably be pushing the boundaries to, to be winning championships. But like, what well, people forget, or people don't see, is that we, we look at it as a very talented dressing room. And when, we, when the team sheet goes up, or, or the Friday night before a game, when, when Mickey lists the team and puts it up on the chalkboard, the, we look at that as a very talented and very competitive team, you know. Um, like they probably will going into Longford seniors, there'll probably be seven or eight, you know, in around the mix, probably five, six stars. And anyway, you know, so there is a lot of talent there. But I suppose the question be asked: How do we produce such talent in such a small number of pool of players? But yeah. I guess that's just that is really down to the hard work that's been done in underage. You know, it's just years and years ago. We're only reaping it now, but that started you know decades ago you know and, and there's so much so much thanks for those people who've done that you know Dan McElligot uh, a huge name down here and all the underage work he's done and um, you know that's where it's all stemmed from and thankfully you know I think we in the last three years we've seen it but I guess now the rest of the country are starting to see it as well and yeah. it's fantastic exactly and like would it just would you ever reference the likes of Slock Nail who were the big story pretty much between before you came along you know have been a really small little community and you know batting above their weight would would you ever mention them as an inspiration um, yeah well look they were a huge story um, last year before and and we do look at that, but it kind of like 
when we came out of Longford, our first goal was, I suppose, three years ago, trying to get over the line and win the senior championship. We hadn't won one from, you know, in over 60-odd years back into the 50s. Uh, and we were trying to get that. And then, I guess, when we came out of Longford and we competed in Leicester, we realised we weren't that far off, you know. We we beat St. Lomond, a huge team in, in Mullingar, you know, and got over them and we came short against St. Vincent and things like that. And... Um, we realise, you know, we're not that far away. That the, the, the talent is there, and if we keep it all together and push on, that that I know stats and we might look that we're up against and against odds, but we feel that we've a very competitive dressing room and that we could compete with, with the bigger teams. I know when you put it in context of membership numbers and panels and player or teams and all that, that yeah, it looks like we're punching considerably, but. Um, you know, we we only ever look to be as competitive as we have, and we believe there's a lot of talent in there, and that we can, you know. Yeah, no, no, with, with I know you definitely can, and you've got really big, important, you know, players in really important positions yeah. as well. I'd say, like at half time, you must have been concerned, though, Shane. Like, I mean, that was a very, very strong wind, and really, it was a four or five point win. You know what I mean? Like, I know you were saying yeah. you were the only ones that believed you could win it, but even at half time, like I can imagine that dressing room was like, Jesus, lads, you know, you're thinking we yeah. haven't we haven't done enough here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think, yeah. As any GA player, and you'd understand. Yeah, when you're going in, we were playing with the wind in the first half, and it was a strong win. As you said, a four or five point. You did want to be going in with your nose in front because, um, you know, because because of the strength of the wind and having to play against it, you're going to tire that much, and it's hard to get the scores. But there's a couple of things. Look, we were still in the game. You know, um, we knew that it, with 15 or 20 minutes to go, if we were still in the game, that we wouldn't be that far away. So. Um, you know, there's huge hunger and passion in that dressing room. So, um, yeah, as you said there, like we came in at half time, of course, we would have wanted to be a couple of points up. And fair play to Kilmacud, they did exactly what a team playing with the win would want to be doing. They got the nose in front and they pushed it from two to three points out. And then, you know, we were, we were out in our legs at that stage, you know, and we were carrying ball and we're getting turned over. But I guess the thing was, is we just were. At that stage, in the middle of the second half, we were just hanging in there. You know, we yeah. just weren't going to let go. We didn't want it. We want, we knew that if we could just stay in the game, don't let three turn into five or six or seven or ten. Just hang in there. That you know that you could get that lucky break. That and then there was a couple of turning factors. Uh, David McGivin kicked a great point, um, which brought it back to two. And then we were no longer hanging in there. We were starting to to, to reel them back in. And um, and then you know. Then we start chasing them down and uh, got a turnover and a huge overlap then by Donny McGilligan and we found ourselves in the penalty area and um, got 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 the crucial penalty and then fair play to Gary Rogers stepped up and tucked it away and then once we got our nose in front it just came at the right time you know 58 minutes on the clock yeah that that once once Gary put it away that I I knew then we were going to hang in there then we we close it out but but I think everybody knew at that stage because like I mean you you get that penalty and then I'm thinking Jesus there's four minutes of injury time it's going to be backs to the wall stuff but it actually wasn't you finished much stronger it's like that penalty Kilmacud wilted and you like grew you know considerably yeah um, and that was it like once once they didn't get more than three points and we're in the game and then once they didn't get out of sight and we got we turned it then and we got our nose in front like that that cost them percentages and again those percentages and it just flips on its head suddenly when you're out on your feet and you're struggling it gives you a lift and it, it, it you know it puts the squeeze on them and, and 
was it we pushed on then you could see that there was a new energy found yeah. uh, a couple of turnovers and we start getting the turnovers and we start putting that and we got to you know the scores even we could have probably tagged on another pint there Jimmy sold two dummies when more than one had done you know could have <laughs> took that over and would have put but uh, in you know composed themselves and put another insurance pint and we you know even won the, the next couple of kickouts so um, I kind of knew once we found ourselves in positions like that before where you know once you know they'd be relatively, relatively composed but once we got our nose in front with that time on the clock you know and you're looking down the barrel of a gun I knew that we'd we'd have enough to, to see at home Yeah no it was unbelievable I think you're, you're right for mentioning it David McGivney point because that was it wasn't just a good point it was a sensational one against the wind and it, he yeah. drove it over the bar lovely bit of curl on it, right. and, and he hadn't looked like scoring like he was struggling to get through that because exactly. I thought Kilmacud left a good few men back behind the ball which I thought was strange but he struggled to get through it that point got you within two and I think yeah. that that put a doubt in Kilmacud's mind suddenly yeah. a goal was going to hurt them and it did yeah, that was a huge turn of you, you look at turn of points in the game, that's it. We were under the caution in the middle of the second half. We were struggling against the breeze. We were carrying the ball forward. They had men behind the ball. We were, we were struggling to penetrate and we were getting turned over. Yeah. And, 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 uh, but that was the point where we, once that went over, we were no longer hanging in there. We were kind of, we were chasing them down. We were reeling the back in. We were back to two. And then we knew even, you know, you get another point, we could pull this back to draw. But two points, you know, coming onto a closing game is a deadly score to be ahead of because, you know, there is always that panic sets in or, you know, a goal in the thing and just give us that impetus to go on and, and get that penalty. So it was a huge turn of point and, and a huge score because we had missed a few before that and got turned off, turned over for a few before that. So, um, yeah, half to often, you know, there's some huge, huge, huge moments and... and, and that's what you want um, on big days men stand up and, and put their hand up and take ownership of it and, and show leadership and push on and, and, and thankfully we had them men yesterday Yeah, no, definitely I want to talk to you quickly about the penalty because I don't think Gary Rogers is even your first choice penalty taker I was hearing after the game yesterday but David Nestor we know Craig Rogers missed one. Well, I know plenty about this for Port Leash. And David Nestor said after the game that, look, at my age, I can only really dive one way. Yeah. And I, and I, I was like, jeez, I was like, Jesus Christ. And then, like, I mean, Gary just stuck to the same way that Craig Rogers went. And David Nestor almost talked himself out of it and went the other way. Probably thinking Gary would go the other way. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. That's going to be talked about anyway in some in some meeting now after this anyway because uh, <laughs> I don't know was that in the script to go that way because we had heard that interview and we had heard that so I don't know Gary just did you know took ownership or maybe he's seen something in his eyes that he said this lad's going the other way I don't really know to be honest with you I only seen the clip last night I watched it when I came home and I watched it on on, on uh, the internet because I actually didn't even look at the penalty in real time I was, I was looking the other way I said I can't stomach this I can't even look at this now and I said well wait for the cheer but you're down when the cheer went up I didn't know whether it was a save or a goal so there could be cheer for anything so I had to turn around but luckily there was a green flag flying anyway so um, and then after that I said what way did he go and he he, he put it to his bottom he put it to keep his bottom right and I said just the wrong way he was supposed to go the other <laughs> yeah I know but I went in anyway and I said oh, I, <laughs> I don't know I, 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 I didn't even get talking to Gary really last night it was just it was, it was mayhem but so I'll have a word with him there on and see uh, maybe, maybe he just we need to clarify left and right going forward or maybe he's <laughs> Something that we didn't see, but well, well, it's just, thankfully, either way I look at it, 
Yeah, it's I just as well. In any, I, I don't think would've, he would have got to it either. It was just it was, it was a brilliant penalty. It was tucked right into the corner with enough pace and it was nice and low. I think even if he had it went that way, he wouldn't have got hands to it on here. Yeah, so that's it. So it was no, I don't think he would have saved it. It was a brilliant penalty, but he double he double bluffed everybody then. So like I mean, Nestor thought, yeah. right, well I've <laughs> I've planted that seed now, so I know where he's going to go. All of you told him probably to go that way and he was the only man not listening to everybody else. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he heard something that we didn't hear. I don't know. Uh, he must be a po- was, he must be a poker just, player, is he, Gary? He must be something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to know what Gary's thinking at the time, but he obviously had it in his own head. Maybe he was comfortable and he says, look, at whether you go this or not, I'll be talking to just in that corner and you won't be getting it either. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Donny would you to take a penalty. He's carrying a bit of a knock. And, um, so... Since he came into Leinster, he probably he hasn't. No, even actually in Longford Championship, he didn't take a penalty there. Um, so Gary, in fairness, put his hand up and says, "Look, if we get one, I, I'll step up to it and, and fair play to him." Uh, that's actually his first one he's taken for us now in a while. But we'll leave Matt now. It's saying, "Look, if we get another one, he'll." We'll, uh, we probably won't even tell him what to do because he's going to do his own thing. No, he'll definitely do his own thing. Come here, why do you think upsets like this happen at club level? Like, I mean, I know the conditions definitely contribute to it to a bit, but like, is there that club spirit that the county teams just cannot replicate and cannot have that kind of drive? Like, I mean, what, how do these shocks happen um, at club level and we very rarely see them at county level? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. It's hard to know. It's hard to put your finger on it. Like, um, I don't know. It's just, with the club thing. It's been progression. It's been hard work. It's been, it's been like it, it, this hasn't happened this week, or it hasn't happened this year. It hasn't even happened in the last three years. It hasn't. Like if you go, if you look in depth into what what these lads have achieved, like I'd be one of the most senior players on, on the team. And if you go back into Dave McGivney and Ryan Brady and Jason and Aidan McGalligan. And then, like, they've been very successful through underage with Northern Gales under 14. And that's that's down to the underage structure and, and the coaches and the time that's been that's been invested in them right from under 12 uh, into under 14, under 16, and bringing them up. And that means then that they can, you know, they can express themselves and play the quality football that they are. But, yeah, county teams, I suppose, I don't know, I suppose county teams, you know, managers change and flip, panels flip and there's players in and players commit and players don't commit. And I guess that's been one thing we can say about Mullinox is, is, you know, that lads commit and they've, they've stuck in there and they've, they've really bought into the last three years, really, you know, and, they, you know, no one's went away and everyone has stuck with the cause. And even actually prior to the three years before we were successful, you know, to just, it was head down and keep, keep plugging along and keep trying to better yourself and better the club and better the panel and that and uh, I guess then that's that's how you you know we got to where we are and um, I don't know it's hard to you know how you fix it for the county and things like that I don't know you know I don't know that um, it's 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 just it really is hard work and underage and I suppose you know, if you even ask anyone from Dublin, how they've been, to, they'll always say it's been underage. You know, what they've produced and the conveyor belt that keeps coming from their underage system. So they're obviously doing something very, very right in their underage in their underage structure. So 
yeah, that's true. what you really need to target is, is, is underage that you mightn't see it next year but hopefully in 10 or 12 years you, you'll see it coming down the line yeah no and I have to I have to apologise that was a very difficult question for someone who has a hangover after winning a winning a yeah, really how big how did I answer that <laughs> it was okay it was okay it was a, li- a little bit rambling but look it was alright I, I blame myself it was a tough question but come here listen to me come here like, like it led the 9 o'clock news last night and like you were trending worldwide on, twi- on Twitter like it really yeah. has put really has put the club on the map like there's no doubt about this there's no one that doesn't know like I mean Maybe we'll all be able to pronounce it properly uh, very very soon. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's here in the parish. So you could, you could get three or four different pronunciations within the parish, depending on who you're talking. Oh, could about. you? Well, that's it good news. Yeah. So so we won't hold it against you, but uh, it's been phenomenal. Like the stuff that's going up on on, on the team WhatsApp, you know, there from you know you Leo Radka commenting on it. It's just everywhere there. I was listening that we're having the breakfast here. I was listening on the news there, and then they're talking Mulnockta, and then in other sporting news, Munster Beacastles. It's like <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy stuff. It's just it's just crazy what. You know the way it's taken off, but it's it's great fun and it's great. You know, and, yeah. and the thankful thing is, you know, we're, we're not out now until next February in, or in 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 this, in this competition. So. You know, we can kind of save us right over the Christmas and everything. Yeah, no, listen, it's brilliant for supporters and players and everything. And listen, come here. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us, Shane. Enjoy the celebrations. No, thanks, Colin, and keep doing what you're doing. All right, brilliant stuff from Shane there. Now we have to move on because I was in a Moor Park on Saturday night and I watched Leash and Mead, and the, it was obviously the first day of the new rules. And Andy McEntee is coming up in the next section to actually run through some of the rules. But I, I, I quite enjoyed it like I mean there was it was more end to end than we're used to um, very difficult in these conditions when you kick a ball into a full forward line Leash left three fellas in the full forward line and you know when a defender is right up behind you and boxing and punching you or tackling you the ball is going to, to slip and you know you might lose possession but that's what this is trying to encourage it's trying to encourage more kicking during the summer in better conditions when you have more movement and when you have more uh, teams more adept at the new tactics because it's all new now it's ripped up the script these balls will stick a little bit more so you'll have a much bit more uh, idea of your game plan with these new rules so like I mean I thought it worked well if you actually sent someone to a Moor Park who knew nothing about these new rules they might not really even notice too much difference outside of the fact that maybe the hand pass one when that gets blown up they would have noticed that very few sideline balls no fouls from sideline balls very few marks I think only two marks in the whole game again the conditions um, kind of you know had a huge effect on that Um, and you know I think I think in general they're a success and not the huge nightmare that everybody was talking about now apparently in Dr Cullen Park there was an awful lot of kicking three and four metres because um, by all accounts Carlo didn't adapt at all to these new rules and were continuing on that's those same tactics and after the third hand pass they were maybe kicking it three or four metres you saw that a couple of times in the Leash game but very very rarely because they were leaving Leash and Mead were leaving enough men in front of the ball that they would have some sort of options um, to move it on with the foot and anyways it shouldn't you shouldn't always be waiting until the third hand pass the minute you get the ball you should be looking you have four steps you can look around the field and see what's on hand passes should only be used to get you out of trouble and you're allowed three of them it should be more than enough to get out into free space and then move the ball on up the field so like I mean these I'm more enthusiastic about this hand pass restriction than I ever was 
and the sooner managers and players get out of their comfort zone and forget about passing the book to somebody else and just hand passing across for the sake of it like I mean the better so I saw Tarlock O'Brien was interviewed afterwards um, and like Carlo have too much to say on this as far as I'm concerned what I think that Carlo are doing is they're psyching themselves out of a league which is really important like I mean if this is what's going on in their training sessions this kind of attitude well then they're not going to have a very good league they're going to go straight back down to Division 4 these rules are in and they will be in in the league so I think they're going to have to deal with it um, Tarlock O'Brien was saying there's a lot of ball uh, being turned over that's the big thing players are indecisive they're getting caught up because they can't use the hand pass yes players are indecisive because now they have to be brave and they have to move the ball on and they can't just pass it on he says this game is played at a very fast pace and you only have a split second to make up your mind if the hand pass is on or you're going to get closed down very quickly lads are kicking the ball because they are because they have to and getting turned over again I don't agree with having a split second to make up your mind if that's like the ball on the third hand pass you should be out into space that's if you're using that hand pass well and you're supporting the man on the ball. If you use your three hand passes and you're not out into clear road, well then there's something wrong. You know? So like I mean, I don't think that's the, the situation. And there's usually lads popping up free for a ball if you have enough on the half forward line. So like I mean it's just a different mindset. And it, to, to, in fairness to Carlo, the r- new rules were brought in to try and end the tactics they use so I can completely understand where they're coming from and being completely against these rules because their game plan has just been ripped up and now they have to try a new one um, like I mean but like it was obvious from the Mead leash game that you know managers have to leave more forwards up front so they have options for the kick pass when it, when it is when you're out into that clear road and you've used your hand pass to gain yourself a little bit then you're scanning the field and you have to move it on up the field so without a half forward line and a full forward line you're gone and we said this on the show so managers are going to have to coach good movement to make sure that when the defender's coming out with the ball and they got into that clear space somebody's breaking free so movement on the half forward line is going to have to start being coached like movement on the full forward line there has to be lads breaking and getting free to be available for that kick pass and then work off that and definitely definitely the message to players is stop putting all the responsibility on the man who gets the third hand pass having to kick the minute you receive a hand pass you should be looking to kick it yourself and stop this well I've just received it or I've just received a kick pass well I'm definitely going to hand pass it now no that's only putting too much pressure on the fella who, who gets the third hand pass you have to keep teams guessing and stop making them know right well we're literally going to take our three and then in desperation kick it that's too easy to defend against but again this is going to evolve and there are new rules and it's going to take a full league to, to actually have managements and have players come up with the best strategy um, that is there John Sugru after the game actually he says the rules are fine uh, he has some issues with the with the refereeing of the rules he said in the first half he called a mark for a mid defensive mark but he didn't put his hand in the air I remember that mark that wasn't I don't I, is it not like the how do you put your hand in the air like, I mean I, I'm, I wasn't sure about putting your hand in the air like if you catch a mark then the whistle's blown is it not like the midfield uh, mark maybe I'm missing something there he said in the second half we got a mark which he didn't get a, which uh, didn't get a whistle 
Um, he said it's a completely new concept. Uh, the referees are trying to watch out for different things. So, like, I mean, John Sugru wasn't very critical. Jack Cooney kind of not really sure what's, what to think of it. A lot of kick passes were short. Um, I don't think, I don't know if that's the outcome, what the outcome should be. Well, it shouldn't be that. And you're not going to get very far if your tactics are around uh, three hand passes and then a little dribbly uh, foot pass because teams are just going to push up on you and make you look stupid. So, like, I mean, this is just a burn cup with second string teams. It's not a good test of how these are going to work because Carlo didn't care if they lost that game, you know, but they will care if they lose a league game. So the big test is a league game and Carlo absolutely won't be dribbly passing it like that and not leaving enough forwards up like they did at the weekend he says I don't know if it changed the format or the structure of the game an awful lot first day out we just have to stick with it and view it and see what it's like I think in general I don't think the quality of the game was any better or worse as a result of the new rules so that's it it's a li- little bit of an underwhelming start and not the controversy that everyone's predicting it just seemed to be a little bit more end to end without any drama and any kind of huge change to the game it's still Gaelic football so it's not this huge change everybody was saying that it was so far again I can't judge it just on one game that I was at but there was no panic stations and Jack Cooney saying the same thing it's not it, it's not any it's not really anything to panic, panic about but anyways listen we'll talk um, to Andy McEntee and see what he thinks of it we'll talk to him next When your legs don't work like they used to before I was actually coming home on Saturday morning and I had the podcast on for Newbridge Southern 8 and that, that helps the journey to be honest if, I'm, if I've ran out of Ed Sheeran songs depends on mood I'm in Ed's good for uh, if you're in a sappy mood Ed's good to sing along to and then if you're in a G.A. head mood which I am probably most of the week then I turn these boys on Darling I will be loving you Alright, so meet Hammered Leash in Amore Park in the first competitive game under the new rules and Andy McEntee joins us on the line now. So congratulations on the win, Andy. You must be a huge fan of these new rules now after a win like that. Oh, I, I'm sure that stands out a mile that I'm a huge <laughs> fan. Uh, but, uh, I look at it, it was, it was it was a bad night, so it's maybe as as a... <laughs> Uh, as a start off is probably not a great guide you know given given some of the things that we're looking at but uh, it was good to get off the ground and get a decent enough performance in What kind of work have you been putting into these new rules like I presume a lot of 15 against 15 and actually you know there's not really drills you can do for this it's nearly have to just game game situations in training is it? Because, I mean, we haven't been putting a huge amount. I mean, we're, we, we're talking about it and trying to make guys aware of exactly what the rules are. Uh, and and it's, there's still a certain amount of uncertainty around some of them. I mean, we, we still weren't sure, I think, at one stage on, on Saturday evening whether uh, a sideline ball was allowed to go backward inside the uh, the 14-yard line or the 21-yard line. Uh Maybe oh, yeah. you could clarify that for me. I think that's out to the twenty-one now. I think originally it was at the fourteen. Yeah, well, we had. A, I had a, I had a linesman telling me it was the fourteen, and I thought it was the twenty-one. Now we're both showing our age here. We're talking about yards, obviously, as opposed to metres. But, uh, but again, there's still uncertainty about that. Yeah. Uh, even even from some of the officials. So, uh, I think it's just trying to make fellas aware of it. Uh, 
and uh, I, I was interested to see somebody somebody did some uh, stats. I think we were uh, we were the culprits more in the second half than we, than than we were in the first half with regard to the the three hand pass rule. I think Leash uh, transgressed a few a few more times in the first half than we did, but it was it was the other way around in the second half. So uh, it's just trying to get fellas used to playing in competition at pace and, and still being aware of of, uh, of the new rules is, is probably the, the challenge. Yeah, I think my main takeaway and I take your point is like that just horrible conditions and I know you're against trialling him in the league but like I mean you were actually at, uh, had a weaker uh, team out than Leash had but it's very very hard in those conditions in December when teams aren't on full strength and let's be honest most teams you know they're the 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 interest they have in a burn cup will be pretty low it's, it's not really a great competition to get you know a good flavor of how these are going to bet in i do take your point that the league is a bit more serious but without it being a serious competition how can we really know if they work or not i i i take what you're saying i mean i i think saturday night was an exceptionally poor night yeah. so i mean uh, i i wouldn't i wouldn't read too much into saturday night i mean they they the uh, whether fellas were being picked up or not, I mean, to try and get a mark on Saturday night was going to be difficult. Yeah, uh, and that's that's the one rule that probably concerns me more than more than the others. The three hand pass, I, I, you know, I, I could take a leave it. I'd like it tweaked a little bit, but uh, it it uh, as a sample size and uh, given the conditions, uh, Saturday night is probably a poor one to go by. I, I get what you're saying. If you want to get a, a better reflection, it has to be over a longer time and over over a bigger sample size but uh, my real concern is the importance of the league uh, the league for 80% of the of the teams uh, at least probably 80% of the teams is, is the competition that uh, counts most uh, throughout the year and you're making an experiment out of it yeah uh, and we're still not sure I mean I think we're going to have to wait for maybe seven days before the start of the league whether uh, uh, whether we know any of these rules are going to be carried into the league or not I, mean, I think that's Bit unsatisfactory. Well, I do. I do take your point on that. That's a, like I think the GPA rattled enough cages to say they're going to be reviewed. I think they'll be in in the league. I think people need to forget about the idea that they won't be in. But I do take your point. What are you practicing in training? Are you practicing the new rules or the old rules? And you won't know until like a week <laughs> a week before the league starts what you're supposed to be doing, which is a bit of a crazy situation. It is, yeah. And then and then you come out of the league, and then we're back to the old rules. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean that that's I don't I don't see that uh, that's not satisfactory. Uh, and look, at, I mean uh, if, if you look at if you look at the the uh, a lot of the worst games of last year, would they have would they have or the year gone by, uh, would they have happened in the league or would they have happened in the championship? Do you think? Yeah. I think the majority of them were probably in the championship, were they? Yeah, well, it's, I suppose, listen, it's hard to know. You wouldn't see all league games. Like, I mean, there's some terrible games. in both. But I, I think the principle of this hand-passing thing, Andy, and I know you say your big problem isn't really with that one, but, like, I mean, coming from a traditional county of year style of football, like, I mean, getting that ball in there now, on the like, and my kind of thing on this is that a lot of players, and from watching the game, they're waiting for the third hand-pass to kick it. 
Like, I mean, yes. that's just that's yes. just putting too yes. much pressure on the fella that gets it the third time. Like, the fella who gets it, should, <laughs> should you should always be looking for a kick. The, the idea with this is that your first instinct should be moving on with the foot and there should be lads up ahead of you breaking, looking for those kick passes. If that's not on, you can take a hand pass. But, like, the idea was, like, the fella on, on Saturday night, the third lad was just, show, you know, sold down the river that, you know, he was, all the pressure was being put on him. Yes, and you have everybody shouting from, you got to kick it, you got to kick it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kick it. And it's not, it's not ideal. I mean, you could, you could still say, well, look, at, you could still run with it. Yeah. You could still solo it and you can still have it. You don't have to kick it. But when you have everybody shouting, you know, you're kick it, kick it, kick it. Uh, it does, it makes it difficult. I, I, I get that. Now, look, I, I suppose one of the things you say, what is the purpose of, of the new rules? Why, why are we looking for new rules? And one of the th- the real uh, issues is you're trying to do away with mass defences. Is that is that fair to say? I would I would say it's the endless sequences of hand passing outside a defensive screen. So you know, yeah, it's 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 a combination of the the, the, ma- uh, the solution to the mass defences is to hand pass outside them and wait and be patient. And you know, it all adds up to a, a boring enough spectacle, I suppose. Yes, but. It, how I suppose then I'd ask you once you get into the scoring zone, how how do you how do you outmaneuver a mass defence, except through a series of quick hand passing to get yourself a room to take a shot? Yeah, but my, I don't think there will be mass defences in this though, Andy, because if when you turn the ball over, you can't run it out through the hands. You have to have fellas ahead of the ball. Uh, you know, at the end of the hand passing, so like I think that there, there just won't be those mass defences that we're used to. Oh well, I'd I'd argue the other side of it now to tell you the truth, because I'd say, can I afford to allow a, a big, strong fella catch a ball inside forty-five meters? Can't afford it because it's a score. Yeah, but the big so strong. So I'm going to I'm going to yeah. play. You know, you're going to have to play somebody in front of them and someone behind them your main threat if that's what's going to happen here I think <laughs> contrary to what we're trying to avoid it could add to okay well okay we, we, we're going to have very low scoring games because you yeah. say okay well I can't afford to let somebody catch the ball inside the 45 metre line but my, my thought on that would be would it not make more sense to not give that good easy kick pass in because good diagonal balls are hard to defend against anyway so you're, if you're back double marking fellas you're going to be leaving a fellow with loads of time to pick out a pass, you know, and you might get caught for that mark anyways. You see, like, I mean, you, you've got, that's a fair enough theory and I've got a theory and I genuinely don't think we will know until you play seven, eight, nine games and, you know, you kind of try out that and that might not work and then you figure out, well, that's not the way to go. You know, like, I mean, I don't think we'll know yeah. maybe until the end of the league. Yeah, look, I think you're right. I think, uh, the, the, you know, if you're testing anything, uh, you've got to take as big a sample size as possible to get a true reflection on, on, on what way it's going to work out. But then I come back to what I'm saying is you're making the league an experiment. Yeah. The National mm-hmm. League has now, has now become an experiment. Yeah. Unless they were so, to, unless so they were to cancel all relegations and stuff like that for one year. But then maybe teams mightn't take it as seriously. Well, I, I, you know, I, that's what I'd be saying. Okay, if the league, if, if this is an experiment... Well then, you know, at the end of the experiment, uh, some of the rules will be adopted, some of them won't, uh, and now you're being punished or you've been uh, rewarded 
for playing uh, a game that's not going to be carried forward. Yeah. So the results of the league become almost irrelevant. Yeah. So maybe a solution uh, on maybe a solution on the nineteenth is to say, okay, there's no such thing as relegations. Like you can still play a league final because no one's going to complain if for whoever wins yeah. it, it's whoever gets relegated will yeah. have the big problem, I suppose. That's 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 the bit, and and it mightn't be a true affection on on the way football is going to be played next year, or the league is going to be played, or the championship is going to be played next year. Yeah, yeah, I do. So I, it, I, yeah. it it dulls the relevance of the league, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Maybe it does. I do, like, I mean, just from watching the game the other night, and I said this um, in the last part of the show, if you were brought into a Moore Park and you knew nothing about the hullabaloo about these new rule changes, outside of the hand pass, you wouldn't have noticed, you know, being blown for the three hand passes, you wouldn't have known a huge difference outside. It was a little bit livelier end-to-end because Leash were trying to kick it in a lot and obviously the ball wasn't sticking, so it was coming back down the other end of the field. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's true. I wouldn't say you'd, you'd pick up you know, the was maybe I don't know what a half a dozen uh, or maybe slightly more uh, hand pass rule about uh, that. Yeah, rule break. Yeah, about about that. I'd say, uh, and you might say, well, what was that about? Uh, but I, I, I go back to we had a, we had a, we had a goal opportunity early in the second or in the first half, halfway through the first half, and I had the midfielder coming in and goal, and he had. Uh, a corner forward uh, beside him and I'm sure he took the shot because he thought is that two hand passes is that three hand passes I remember that I remember that I was was actually asking in the yeah I was asking in the press room was he on the last one why didn't he give it to the (laughs) fella beside him yes that's what I was asking too but but, uh, the the truth of the matter is there's a lot of stuff going on out there it is difficult you know, it's like anything else happening it, happen it twice or, or, or taking too many steps. Maybe players get used to it. Yeah, I uh, I think they will get used to it. I don't think it changes the game that much. I think I do think Andy. I don't know whether it's your like. I mean, I remember seeing it like in the Leinster Club final. There, like, there's so much pass in the book, just hand passing it to a fella beside you, just for the sake of it, instead of going uh, right, uh, right. Well, I have to make something happen here. Like, it, it has got into the game where there's too many fellas on the field in a serious comfort zone where they take no responsibility. I, 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 look, at I, I don't have a huge problem with the hand pass rule. Uh, I, my my con- biggest concern with the hand pass rule is that it would almost encourage you uh, to have too many defenders back there because someone's going to have to take a shot here. They're going to have to kick the ball. So if we have enough, if we have enough of a blanket defence, we're going to force teams to kick the ball from outside of sixty yards. Yeah. See, I guess when that's when that's, they can't. Yeah. When they can't walk their way through you uh, in a blanket defence by a series of short hand passes, and if you if you look at most of most of the areas of the pitches where where these rules where the where the, where the three hand pass uh, is is going to break down, it's probably close to goals. Yeah, but that's the thing, so, and, I mean, and that's that's Conan on the show. That's his theory on it, and I always say it to him, and that's fine. It absolutely makes sense because you will get joy doing that. But when you win the ball back yourself, then how do you get the ball out out the field? Because you've no one ahead of the ball, and you have to kick it on your third one. Do you know if if you're if you're put put under pressure when you win the yeah. ball back, then you've got yeah. no real attacking yeah. game plan. So you have to find a balance between absolutely that defensive tactics will get you joy but then you've got no joy going forward yourself so you have to find a balance between the two yeah 
look, say, say the more the more you see of it, the more you, it it will maybe follow some sort of a pattern. But uh, again, I don't I don't see. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the greatest goal I ever scored was Kevin Foley's goal against Dublin in '91. Yeah, and and uh, I think it was five five maybe six hand passes. Uh, now I get what you're saying. They weren't lateral; they went backwards. They were going forward. Uh, look, I, I, I just, I just have a have a concern that the the area of the pitch that it's going to affect most is at the scoring end. Yeah, and it's going to reduce. It's going to reduce the scoring rate. I hope that. Uh, yeah, because I I, because I think I think teams uh, will ultimately say, okay. They can they can kick they're gonna to have to kick the ball. Stand off them, stand off them, do it, hand pass, hand pass. Now we push up, they're gonna to have to kick it. Uh, and you're gonna end up having a lot more shots from outside than from inside. Look at I mean, I think the the thing that I that my biggest concern is the mark inside forty five metres. It becomes I, I mean I I, 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 can, I think we'll get over the three hand pass rule. I've heard other people talk about maybe extending it to four hand passes. Yeah, one way or the other, I think I think that's doable. But the mark inside forty-five meters makes this a game of Aussie rules. Yeah, AFL. I agree. My my idea was the mark inside the twenty-one, and I think that's a good encouragement to give the odd long ball in and try and you know be rewarded for a fetch in there. I completely disagree yeah. with the with extending it out to the forty-five. I don't understand the logic behind that at all. But I, it, the other thing that the other thing that annoys me a little bit was is the process by which this was done. Initially, there was consultation with players, with managers. They got feedback. There was a trial period. There was a number of college games, and we played the game. And there was there was feedback. Uh, obviously, the feedback wasn't hugely positive. Uh, they asked the rules committee to come back with a, with with a set of alternatives. They come back with a set of alternatives, and they went, "Yeah, okay, we'll run with that." Yeah. No consultation. No trial period. Uh, and. And even as it stands, even one of those rules that was adopted, which is the kick out from the 20 metre line, I understand that wasn't proposed by anybody. So that was just made up on the day. Somebody made that one up on the day. Right. The kick out one was changed a few times, like it wasn't workable the first time. I think the mark after this, oh, but because there was no marks, I think he had one of, a defender got. Uh, there was no marks. Yeah. Uh, Leash got none. And I was reading in the Carlo Westmead one, there was, there was hardly any marks. I think one in the whole game as well. So I think the, yeah. in January the 19th, I think that'll go back inside the 21. You know, and maybe if the hand pass went to four, I, I'm easy. I think when you change your mentality from the safe hand pass to the kick pass you'll get over that easily it, like I mean it's rare that after three hand passes that you can't get out into enough space that you've you know it, it depends then what options are in front of you I think coming, coming out coming out the field you're absolutely right there should be an option there to kick it's once you get close to goals and bodies are too, more bodies around that's where you need a, a couple of short hand passes yeah so yeah. my idea okay well look at let's let's uh, that 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 rule operates between the between the two fifties, say. But again, we're asking more and more for referees as well, which which makes it. And I think I think what you were saying, the mark, the mark inside the twenty one. The experience we had was that uh, was that referees were finding it hard to judge. Is he inside the twenty one or is he outside the twenty one? So if it's a quick enough uh, attack, and it's and it struck that he catch that inside or outside the twenty one. 
Right. I think okay. that was one of the issues that, that, they, that they were finding at the time. It was hard to, it was hard to be sure where exactly is on the pitch. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, is that any different than a square ball? How did it do that? You know, with an umpire not be able to help Fair out? Point. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. I, 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 but I mean, the, the mark inside the forty-five. I don't know where that came from. No, that's that's AFL. Now, You're right. It's AFL. It's not Gaelic football. Like you can't just stop a no, good move and call a mark at forty-five meters out and kick a point. Like that's not a flowing game. Well, here's here's a scenario for you. You've got you've got someone like uh, who, who 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 the best kickers in in the business, longest kickers. Began. Began. Right. He kicks it out. It's caught in the middle of the field or seventy yards out. He turns around and he kicks it to somebody inside the forty meter line, like uh, Michael Murphy. And on both occasions, you got to step off. You got to let him kick the ball. He kicks it. You step off. You let him kick the ball. And it's kicked over the bar. So you got two kicks, and it's over the bar. Yeah. No, I don't think anybody. Nobody. Nobody, nobody no wants running. that. Yeah. I don't think. Uh, and then, and it becomes a series of stop, start, stop, start. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants that. I think they'll, they'll, I think hopefully they'll change they'll change that back. Um, it was good for you to have Mickey Newman back just before I let you go. Like a good some sure. good good bigger uh, scoring forward with a bit of size. It's almost exactly what you want there at number fourteen. Yes, yeah, and, and again now I suppose you know it's hard hard for anybody to try and hold on to ball ball. But I mean it's good to have Mickey back. He's had a series of of small niggling injuries. Some of them not that small either, but. Uh, Obviously, with his experience and uh, his ability, we could do with as many of those fellas as possible. Yeah, exactly. Camaro won't keep you any longer. We might ring you after the league here, see what you think. All right, cheers, come. Dear, great to finally get to interview you. Yeah? Oh, really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah why yeah. is it great? Why do you not do many interviews? I don't know, really. Um, what's been asked to do a whole while? Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? I, mean, I know we spoke about the defensive side of things. If you're coming in and you want to be, if you want to be the Woolly Parkinson and and just play for myself and an, mean, an intercounty corner forward isn't just hatching inside either. He's, no, you know, no. He's, unfortunately for you, Woolly, it won't last forever. You can ask ex-players that. You can ask your, you know that yourself, Woolly. Yeah. Um, Mine never started at yeah, all. Well, <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there. Okay, so Paddy Power Performance of the Weekend. First nomination is Paddy Fox. So Paddy Fox played fullback and he was given the task of marking uh, Mannion, Paul Mannion, and he did a brilliant job. So, like, I mean, he was well... He's a big, strong, physical fullback that I think in this weather and these conditions you can't bounce the ball. I think that makes it much easier for defenders to be able to get a hand in and once you get a hand in and you're big and strong like Paddy you can hold him up and Mannion can't really use his pace and can't really go around him because to go around him you have to get a little bit of contact and Paddy's so strong he just wasn't he just he didn't he stopped trying to take him on um, he's, he looked like or Mannion looked like he was getting really frustrated um, he was rattled he was complaining to the referee they weren't freeze like Paddy showed an awful lot of discipline in the way he tackled um, he was outstanding discipline stood him up once got that contact in to give Mannion enough um, information as in don't come past me you're not you're not going to be able and Mannion knew in the conditions and the soggy underground that he wasn't going to be able to go past him so Mannion doesn't have a huge playmaking aspect to his game so like he was kind of rattled 
No doubt about that. I think there was an incident in the second half under the stand where Paddy uh, tackled him fairly enough. I think it was a, actually a sideline ball for Mullen Lochta. Um, it was given to Kilmacud Croaks. Um, maybe it was even given as a free. It wasn't a free at all. And Paddy Fox celebrated it under the stand. And it just summed up the whole the whole day for him. He was outstanding. Um, really, really good. Now, how Paddy would get on, on Mannion in Croke Park on a dry day who gives a shit because it wasn't it wasn't a dry day and it wasn't in Croke Park it was a club Leinster final in Tullamore on a terrible day and listen that was the cards that were dealt and Paddy was man of the match in the game and he was outstanding uh, Rian Brady he scored three first half points um, he, he, like he's a little will of the wisp he's so elusive so jinky when he has his back to goal he's got a brilliant jink that he goes he doesn't turn the way you think he's going to turn he doubles back the other way and he does it so kind of fast that a lot of players you see he, he you probably won't, don't know too much about him he's young and he was with Longford's I think he was with Longford for the first time last year he's been on the three in a row for Mulna Hakta. Um like he he was outstanding as well a really really likeable little player always trying to do something positive with it he was all over the field as well even though he was trying to play up front scored that point inside the first minute brilliant looping long range point which are not easy in those conditions his other two points, you could almost say he'd be very disappointed with his finish for his second point, which he put it over the bar. He had to go around uh, the goalkeeper there. Like, I mean, there was so much space to run into. Any sort of a jink and he was gone past him. He went for the goal straight away and went over the bar. Um, you know, you would say he took the wrong option there and then he got the long range point that bounced over the bar. But that was the right option anyways, trying to give it in inside because we're getting some joy from that long ball. Um, giving it in so he played for Longford corner forward last year against Mead when they beat them so he has made his breakthrough probably needs to do a little bit of strength and conditioning to get it the inter-county scene because with that jink and with that accuracy off both feet he looks like a really good player very likeable player uh, James McGivney was brilliant the whole way through the game so strong um, you know when they're trying to break that gain line in the second half there was a lot of Mullinahock the players you know Shane Mulligan was taking on responsibility there was a lot of them especially in fairness Gary Rogers who put away the penalty he gave it he just passed it backwards nearly every time he got the ball which was very frustrating he refused to take anyone on now maybe he doesn't have the pace but James McGivney was taking them on he was taking the game to them and was a bit like Scottstown the week before that there was a lot of passing the book, passing the book, and you're just waiting for the bigger inter-county or ex-inter-county like Shane Mulligans to kind of come on the ball because you know that they'll be brave enough to take it through the tackle and try and make something happen. So James McGivney, outstanding, um, really good all day. Uh, David McGivney, what an inspirational point. Like, I mean, the talk, I was talking, to, obviously Shane mentioned this, and like, I mean, they talk about inspiration and, you know, moments in a game and this is three points down and not looking like they could get a point from play at all and then he gets gets through and kicks a point against a really strong wind and again there's certain points that are just points and then there's inspirational points and that was an inspirational one with the timing of it and it was the manner in which the defiance the way he drove that ball over the bar and set it way out right and curled it back in around um, to the left but he was inspirational right throughout the game he was outstanding in the midfield he was the driving force and in fairness to Kilmacud Croaks their midfield they have got problems in midfield like Craig Diaz is good on the ground but he struggles badly um, aerially he doesn't have a, a fetching game Portlaoise dominated them absolutely dominated them in midfield in the semi-final and if those short kickouts which they bunch for which Portlaoise fell for 
um, you know if they don't work then they're struggling when they get to midfield so David McGivney um, you know he was outstanding so like I mean all the performance of the weekend uh, nominations are from are from Mullen Ahakta like I mean Shane Mulligan was outstanding as well uh, driving force taking the ball out of pace he was really good too um, we have to give a shout out to Daniel O'Reilly um, leash footballer from Grey Cullen so he made his comeback to the Leash Colours on Saturday night and got a really big cheer from the stand. So he hadn't played from Leash for Leash since he was assaulted in um, April. It was after the league final when Leash beat Carlo. He's from Grey Cullen, so he goes out in Carlo and he got assaulted and he was fighting for his life. So, like, I mean, everyone in Grey Cullen and in Leash was very worried about him and he's made a brilliant recovery and he's back on the field in the same year um, lining out for Leash. So it was absolutely fantastic. I think he came on for, for Stephen Atroyd. So I think uh, definitely Danny deserves a mention. So who we give performance of the week Two, um, it's hard to look past Paddy Fox. He was just brilliant. He was outstanding. Really good interview then after the match. Um, and again, I think, and this was the thing, um, David Seal did well on Paul Mannion in the semi-final, but Mannion still scored three points. I think he scored three from play, five in total. Paddy Fox completely wrapped, wrapped him up. Now, obviously the conditions, it was a backstay, but that's neither here nor there. Um, he still had to take care of Mannion. Mannion still did it on bad days in the Dublin Club Championship so you know Paddy Fox absolutely deserves Paddy Power performance of the weekend right that's it hope I did alright on my own today uh, maybe we'll give Conan his P45 it depends I'll have to listen to it back um, probably wasn't great let's be honest but anyways the two lads Connor and Conan are back we're going to do a Woolly Awards on Thursday so we'll put that out and then we're going to be down to one podcast a week until the league starts um think that's going to be preview shows in around the 25th of January or something like that the Thursday before the league starts so we're down to one a week over the Christmas because you've better things to be doing let's be honest and anyways before that we'll talk to you on Thursday for a Woolly Awards so we'll talk to you then good luck I'm not finished yet it took me a long time to get here both players have, have spoken with each other and uh and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f- shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f- asses for f- 10 years. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. For exclusive content from their GA ambassadors and other high profile contributors, check out news.paddypower.com.